0: Billy was praying, it's easy to lose focus when we're in the midst of the busyness and, and the work, that really the reason we do the work is because we're already on mission. And so, you heard last week, for those of you that were here, we, uh, I, I gave a very small presentation. In fact, you know what, I think probably the best thing to do is just pick up from there as we start this. And it was from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you're familiar with Isaiah's call, you will have heard this passage before. It's absolutely amazing, I think, because in it we see Isaiah go from understanding his fall, God's glory, his own fallenness, which is really the beginning of the gospel, understanding his his fallenness, seeing him atoned for, and then being called on mission. And I'll just read it to you. It's in Isaiah chapter six, and it says, "In the year of King Uzziah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne." high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple above him were seraphs with each each with six wings with two wings they covered their faces with two they covered their feet and with two they were flying and they were calling to one another holy 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 is the lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory now if if you're not getting the picture if you're not getting the point of this passage god is holy he's almighty he's he, he he's He's beyond our imagination. There's, no, uh, there's, there's nothing in our minds that we can grasp or, or grab hold of that even demonstrates how beautiful and how amazing and how full of glory He really is. But He says, "...at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. Listen to Him. I am ruined. I am ruined." He, he, he understands his absolute need for God, his absolute depravity, his, his complete separateness from God. God is so perfect and so pure and so holy. But I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you've come into the presence of God, the reality is you don't. You don't come into the presence of God and and just think, well, I've got it made. I've figured it out. I am the man. Because you can't stand before His glory and understand without understanding your own need for Him. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs, or taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I've never had a hot coal hit my lips. Now, I've had hot coffee hit my lips. But I'm going to imagine that this wasn't a pleasant experience. I'm going to imagine that while it was amazing and the result and the consequence was absolutely amazing, imagine a hot coal touching your lips. You see, as we're sanctified, as we're, as we're made into the likeness of Christ, there are going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be things that, that work it out in us. But thankfully, we're found righteous, not because of our own work, but because of the Savior. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken, taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Now, a lot of people, a lot of missionaries, in fact, that you'll, that you'll speak with, they'll, they'll have found a unique and um, very personal interpretation of that verse because they are going to identify with it in such a way that they truly feel that they are saying to God, here I am, send me. And so last week I asked you guys to say with me, here we are, send us. And as we've we've focused on vision and mission and, 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 and strategies and methods over the last several weeks, we've talked heavily about worship. And I don't ever want to move away from worship. Because ultimately that is what we've all been called to do. That's what mankind was created for was worship. but what we can't lose sight of in the midst of our worship in our gatherings in our in our lifestyles in our in our ministry towards one another is a very important mission. There's a there's a term that rolls around in church circles that goes that, that says uh, that, that tries to move the body to minister to one another. And that term is every member ministry. Back in the back in the days just before the reformation the church had become very uh, well, they were they were messed up and they had some things very wrong, um, but as they had done that, they they developed this clergy. There, there was a layer of clergy, and then there was a layer of laity. And the clergy were these special people who were exalted out of the rest of the body and who who looked down on the people. And they were just these they 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 were sub Christians as in a sense. And and so this professional or or higher Archy of, of ministers um, they're the ones that knew scripture they're the ones that did the service they're the ones that did the work in the church and when the Reformation came there were many things in the Reformation that happened and part of that was coming back to a true sense of the gospel but one of the things that didn't happen was break down this wall between this idea of professional clergy and the laity. But as we read the Bible, we don't see any demonstration of a professional clergy and a laity separated by, by um, just a, uh, an idea of status or, or a, a mode of, of operation. There, there are certainly roles in the church. There are certainly people who are called to lead. And they are, they are called to, to ask others to follow along behind them. But that doesn't exalt them to a point that they are of some separate class or some higher or more worthy position in the church. And so in recent years, uh, as, as this, so some people are calling this a new reformation, uh, the, the second reformation, they've come to realize that this has really misled people and, and actually been bad for the church. The, the church has been hindered and hurt because we've expected for many years... That the people who are paid to do all the work, to do all the ministry. It, 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 it's been most people's position that the people sitting in the pew receive ministry and the people standing in the front give ministry. But that's not the picture that Scripture defines. That's not the picture that, that, that the Bible, the New Testament churches were built around. The, 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 the method, or the, not the method, the, the model that they were built around was that, that we were a body. That that each person in the church is given a gift and and an ability by the Spirit that's to be used to build the body. And so there's been this move to move to this every member ministry. And what that means is that the people in the pews do receive the ministry, but so do the people up front. And we all find our place and our niche that, that, that God has gifted us and enabled us in so that we might minister to one another. Every member is a minister. We're a priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. A, a holy nation. It's it's not the clergy against the laity, or the laity against the clergy, and it's not the not the clergy giving to the laity and the laity just taking and taking and taking. It's it's a, a mutual uh, a relationship where all of us work together for God's glory. Now I want to take that term though and I want to think about it further as we do this, as as we work this out. Because if we only ever think about every member ministry and it becomes only about this church and all we want to do is serve one another and and make one another uh, feel good about why we're here and and, and meet one another's needs, while, while that's great and while it's good, it still misses the point. Because the ultimate purpose in our ministry still is not just to see needs met. We'll meet needs. It, the, the ultimate goal of, of ministry is not just to see you educated or discipled or, or, or uh, your kids taught or your, 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 um, your, your toenails filed or, or I don't know, whatever it, it could be. That's not the ultimate goal of ministry. The ultimate goal of ministry is to see Jesus glorified. And if we are ever doing ministry simply for the sake and the good of the people alone, we're still missing the point. Even as we do ministry, even as we do ministry, you're called to be on mission. And we do this not simply for the good of the people, while the good of the people will result we do it for the glory of God. And so I want to change that term and I want to, I want to make a new focus of that term. And, and, and while you know, I, it, may not, it may not become as big as every member ministry, I want to think of this as every member missionary. Because as we come together and minister and as we come together and are discipled and as we come together to worship, the reality is we're not simply doing that for us. We're doing it for the glory of God. And so that as we bring God glory and as we worship Jesus and we we praise Him for what He did on the cross and we, and we thank Him for, for giving His life for us, we're calling others too to stand with us and worship Him. You see, and that's the mission. Our purpose is to worship. Our mission is to call others to worship alongside us. To become disciples. To, 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 to walk in and, and, and exchange the, the lie that they've accepted for so long and turn to the truth of the Gospel. And so tonight, that's our focus. And as, as, as I think about and as we think about moving forward and being missionaries, if you're ministering in the children's department, you're a missionary calling children to worship Jesus, making Jesus the hero. If, if you're singing... You're worshiping and you're leading others in worship, but you're doing it not so that they can feel good about themselves or so that they can check some box off, but to glorify Jesus. And so that as people see us doing that, they, they see it and they, they're moved by it, and they're touched by it, and, and they worship Jesus. You see, it all kind of begins to blend together and it all begins to, to work together so that we might worship. That we might give our lives in service to one another. That we might give our lives to love one another as Christ has called us to. So that we do that in worship at the same time as bringing glory so that others can see it and call them to worship Him with us. And so I want to think about that and I want us to understand what that means and the implications that come from that. And probably the reality, the the ultimate thing that that we'll end up talking about is the consequences that come from that. But I've got several passages I want to share with you. But as we do this, the first step in doing this, I think, is getting on God's mission, not our own mission. You see, (laughs) there's all kinds of things. In, In fact, if I were to poll each person in this room, if I were to poll people outside of our church if I were to speak to church leaders from around the nation and, and, and I've speak, spoken to many church leaders from, from this area and, and from uh, around uh, the, the state I know that I would find each and every person has a different perspective about what we need to be doing and how we need to be doing it you know why? because you're all people and you all have opinions and and I love those opinions. I don't want you to hear me being being uh, beg- I, don't, I don't want to begrudge that of you. I, I don't want to take that away from you. but the reality is is that we're all fallen people as well, and that as we depend on our perspectives and as we look at our little at, at our little world and, and, and the things that we have going on in, in our little circle, it's very easy for us to lose sight of what God really wants to do. And I'm guilty of that, and and, and, uh, the reality is is that you guys are as well. I think the most important thing we can do as we move to be on mission is make sure we're on God's mission, not our own. Listen to this. Acts 1, verses 7 through 8. Now, I love this because, you know, in, in our church circles, we don't ever read verse 7. But, but we focus on verse 8 because we use it as a missions model. But he says, Christ is just about to ascend into heaven. He's, he's died, he's risen, and now he's just about to ascend into heaven. And he says, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want you to see this. You know the mission's model here. We're to to go and be witnesses. We're to go and and tell people about what Jesus has done in our life. But I want you to see the very first words that came out of Jesus' mouth were a rebuke in a sense. He was telling them, you've missed the point. You guys want to know when I'm going to establish Israel. You guys want to know when I'm going to make the kingdom what you've always wanted to be. But you've missed the point. It's not for you to do these things. It's for you to come and be what I've called you to be. We're to be His witnesses. We need to get on God's mission, not our own mission. We need to follow His will. We need to to look and see what He's called us to do. We need to look inside of ourselves and understand what He's given us to do. Well, what does that mean? How is that going to begin to work itself out? Well, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And the writer of Hebrews is closing up his letter now. and And he's exhorting the church to certain things. And we won't read the whole chapter. He says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison. Do you, let, me, let me just stop there. Do you, do you see what he's calling us to do? He's calling us to take our eyes off of ourselves. He's not once said, look at what you want and look at what you need and try to meet those needs yourself. That's not what he said. He said, keep on loving each other as brothers. That's looking outward. Do not forget to entertain strangers. That's looking outward. Remember those in prison. That's looking outward. He talks about marriage and and making sure that it's honored and and that it stays pure because as we model the family and as marriage is modeled, we in the church demonstrate to the world what What Jesus and His bride, the church, really look like. As we, we in our marriages, demonstrate faith and repentance, or forgiveness and repentance, and repentance and forgiveness in in that ongoing cycle. Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember those who have led you. And, and, and so ultimately for leaders, that's telling them to look to who they've been led by. Look back to the leaders of the church and, and follow in their way. For, for the people who are coming along and some who are raising up to leadership and some who are always going to be, be, be followers, the ult- ultimately the call is to, to follow them and imitate their faith. Not once thinking about how do I get what I want? How do I feed myself? How do I serve myself? What can this church give me? You see, that's the wrong focus. That's your mission. That's not God's mission. He goes on to say, do not not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace and not by ceremonial foods which have no value to those who eat them. Don't lose your focus. Don't forget what we're here to do. Don't forget what this is really all about. Don't, don't just buy in to all kind of crazy stuff going out there. And, and the reality is we've got a terrible time. I've I've struggled with this ever since the day we started this because there is so much information that everyone we will ever deal with is exposed to, and so much of it is junk. We're going to be fighting against that, but you know what? That fight is not ours. All we can do is stand up and speak the truth all we can do is call people to be disciples and we stay focused and we stay on task and we don't buy into all that crazy stuff we we read our bibles and we learn the truth we we begin to dig and understand so that when we hear the when we hear the junk that we can understand it's junk and our minds aren't changed by it but then we can begin to speak to people about why it's junk We stay focused. We stay on task. We stay on God's mission. What's His mission? (laughs) In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, And He created a man and a woman. And He told them to fill the earth and to subdue it. And He told them to be fruitful and multiply. And this was in a perfect environment and they rebelled against him and they didn't obey him and they ate fruit that they were told not to eat and as early as the fall in the midst of the curse that God was placing on mankind because of their sin God was saying I am going to bring someone into this plan into this world into the, to these people to redeem them that's his mission God has never been surprised by this. He was never fooled by it. He, didn't, he He's always known it. In fact, if you read through Scripture, you'll find that he had been, this plan had been set in place before the foundations of the world. He's always known it. This is His mission. To come in and redeem that which has been lost. To pull it back to Himself. To bring these people to Himself. To, to, to bring the bride to His Son. That's His mission. And he continues on in Hebrews chapter 13. He says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. That's His mission making sure that, that we are speaking and praising Jesus so that people hear how important He is in our lives, so that, that we're following in that missional model, so that in our city, in our state, in our nation, and to the ends of the earth, we are proclaiming Jesus' name and praising Him so that people see it and hear it and understand it and are changed by it. You see, that's the mission. And if we ever lose focus of the mission and why we're doing it, You see, we're not doing the mission to glorify ourselves. We're doing the mission to worship God. This is only a part of our worship. Getting up and speaking to people about what He's done in our life is worship. Going wherever it is you go on Monday morning with the express purpose of bringing glory to God is worship. That's the mission and praising Jesus so that nobody ever mistakes what we're about it's not about what we can get or what we can gain that's not a, that that's not God's mission He's going to give to us. He's going to to bless us. He's going to grow you. He's going to shape you like Isaiah. He's going to put you through some painful things that you might be sanctified so that you might be changed and, and you might be found holy so that in the end, you can bring glory to Him. That's the mission. He goes on to say, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I am not above discipline. I am not above making mistakes. But as we form this church, and as I'm eventually installed as the first elder, I'm going to ask you to follow me. And I'm going to ask you to sometimes submit to my authority. Not sometimes, all the time. It's the reality of it. Hopefully I'm not over here cracking a whip, because that's not what we're called to do either. And I could pull passages out about that. And as other elders are raised up out of this body, you're going to be asked to submit to their authority. And you're going to be asked to follow along with them. Why is that? Why why could that be? Because if we stopped and asked every one of you what you wanted to do and how you might want to worship Jesus, you're all going to have a different way of doing it. And as leaders who are prayerfully following the people that have led them, and who are prayerfully seeking God's guidance in the leadership of this body, we're going to ask you to follow behind us and imitate our faith. That's why we're not going to get caught up sometimes with, with, with colors of chairs or, 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 or um, uh, color of carpet and color of walls. You know We're not going to come to everybody with every last thing. Big decisions, yes, we will but we could get so bogged down, we could get so slowed down and so off track by, by bringing every little thing in front of every person that we couldn't move forward. And so we're going to look at people and we're going to understand their gifts and we're going to go to those people who have those gifts and who have those abilities and we're going to ask them to serve in that way. Not for their own glory, but to glorify God in it. You see, it becomes worship for them. And as they do it to glorify God, they praise Jesus as He He works through them. And it becomes part of the mission. Because as they praise Jesus, they're calling others to praise Jesus with them. And it all begins to work together. But it all happens as we follow Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the head of the church. He is the senior pastor. But as time goes by and as we build this group of men that will that will stand and 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 be accounted t- t- be held accountable for their leadership. We'll ask people to follow along in submission. And and submission is such a dirty word these days, but we all submit to something is the reality of it. We all give our lives to something. And I I've learned that I don't think there's a better thing to give our lives to than what God has called us to give our lives to and to submit before. But then He doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't say just submit and and obey them so that their work... Let me finish the verse. Obey leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. As we build this, that's the reality of it. If all we do is fight and bicker because one person's not getting their way because they've taken their eyes off of God's mission for this church, and, well, I really wanted it this way, and and all I want to do is get it my way, well, you know, that's going to make it very difficult. That's going to be a burden. And that's going to burn people out. And pretty soon there won't be anybody that wants to be an elder of this body. Because why are they going to want to deal with a bunch of people who are always angry and bitter and upset? But where does that all come from? It comes from taking your eyes off of Jesus' mission. Take, taking your eyes off of what God's doing in the world and centering it on what you want. But he doesn't stop there. He says, pray for us. Well, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Keep your eyes focused on on God's mission. Get on His mission. That's what it means to be a missional church. We can be a missional church and we can go and do our own thing. We can, we can go out in the world and do all kinds of cool things to let people know that the way is the best church out there. And I think it is. But, if we're out there to glorify ourselves and, and exalt ourselves, we've gotten off of God's mission. And if we're doing this so that... Say, for example, you came to this church and you think, you know what, I'm going to go to this church because I think I can shape it and form it into what I think church should be. Who is that serving? What if you came to this church bitter and upset and angry about things that went on at your other church and you think, I'm going to come to this church and expect them to be all that I want them to be? Who does that focus around? What if you came to this church with the idea that that finally you could shine? Finally, somebody's going to notice my work. Who does that focus around? You see, we're not called to be on our own mission, we're called to be on God's mission. And I'm going to repent first because as I came into this and as I dealt with this, you guys have heard me say this, as I dealt with these things, there were things that I came to with negative attitudes and I presented them negatively and I led you wrongly. You see, as, as I dealt with this and, and, I, and, and this vision I feel that was developed in me, as I began to speak about it and began to break it out for people, I talked about what should be in church and what I'm not seeing in other churches. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And God, forgive me for that. You, please, forgive me for that. The call is no longer to come and be a part of a church that, 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 that is different than others or that is better than some other church or that got it right while others got it wrong. The call is to come and be on mission. Not for my glory, not for your glory, not for the glory of the name of this church, but for the glory of the God that sent us. And for, the Jesus, for, for Jesus who gave His life for us. That's the mission. And that's where we'll find true worship. And so, I call you with me to say, here we are, send us. Not on our own mission. On your mission. On God's mission. On the mission that Jesus Christ came to fulfill. So we've got to get on God's mission. As we do that, you need to expect or we are going to have to expose idols by teaching Jesus. Acts 19. Flip back to Acts 19. We won't stay here as long as we did in the other passage, but I think this is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful demonstration of what we are going to have to do. I don't think that we walk in and we look at people in the eye and we say, your job's an idol. I don't think that's necessarily what we need to do. We need to demonstrate their sin. We need to demonstrate their fallenness and their need for Jesus. And we need to do that with grace as we demonstrate the truth. But in Acts 19, Paul, actually, Apollos has been teaching. In, in, in Ephesus, Ephesus was a world center for idolatry. Artemis, the, the Artemis, the, I forget what she's the goddess of now. It slipped my mind and I'm not going to look it up. Just, just know that she was a, a, an idol. She was a, a false god. And people in Ephesus worshipped her greatly. She had this huge temple built in her name. And that was the center of worship for Ephesus. And Apollos begins to teach in Ephesus. And this little band of Christian believers begins to be developed. Paul comes into Ephesus and Paul sees that they that they received the gospel, that they understand the truth of the gospel and they're being changed by it, but they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he brings and he says, and he, and he baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. He prays for them and he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And this thing begins to happen that is unbelievable. It, it, it blows everybody's mind. And just a few generations later, Ephesus has totally changed so that now when you see pillars that stood in the great city Ephesus that was built for the glory and honor of Artemis, you see Jesus fish on these, on these pillars. And, and you see where Christians made a huge impact on this city. But as they did that, something was very critical in their work and in the things that they did. And what they began to do was they began to present Jesus as the true God. And they began to present Jesus as the only way, and that threatened the world's idols. And in Acts chapter nineteen, verse twenty three, you can begin to read about that. Because as the Christians made inroads in Ephesus, and as they praised Jesus, they they exposed idols. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Hey, that sounds familiar. A silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, men, no, we receive a good income from this business. And you hear and see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. He attacked idolatry. He exposed it for what it was. And when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. And I want you to imagine this mob rushing into this amphitheater and screaming, great is Artemis! Great is Artemis! They're, they're so uh, uh, afraid of losing their idol. So afraid of really losing what is feeding them. They're making money. Off of people's idolatry, their silversmiths and and their and their uh, craftsmen who are making uh, things to, that, that are offered to this Artemis, and and the, the whole their whole world's being turned upside down because of Jesus, and and they're rebelling against it. But Paul continued to expose the idols. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him. A message begging him not to venture into the theater. It was a crazy time. The riots in L.A. have nothing on this. This is a crazy day. They are in this assembly. They're screaming over and over. The assembly was in confusion. This is verse 32. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in great or in unison for about two hours. We don't even like to get together for church on Sunday for more than about an hour and a half. But these people were so threatened for two hours. And they shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis! of the Ephesians eventually the city clerk quiets them down and gets them to to, to go away but Paul went into Ephesus not to work his own mission but to present Jesus to teach Jesus which exposes idols and as we do that we need to expect opposition opposition Paul wasn't allowed, the disciples didn't want Paul to go into that arena because they were afraid that he'd be killed. They didn't want Paul to go and stand before them because they didn't know what would happen. The reality is is that as we do this, we need to expect opposition. As Paul wrote the church in Ephesus, as it had developed further, and as he began to deal with issues in the church at Ephesus and answer questions for them and teach them, He comes to the close of his letter and he talks to them about being ready for opposition. He says, and this is Ephesians 6, verse 10, and you will have heard this before because we teach on it so often. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Be ready. There is opposition. And there will be opposition. I don't know, I don't know everything that goes on in your minds. I don't know what, what kind, of, kind of things are happening. But I would not be surprised one bit if I were to sit and talk with each of you privately as we begin to make steps towards this, if you hadn't had thoughts of doubt, if there hadn't been something that's conflicted with your idea about what we need to be doing, if there hadn't been something that's made you upset or mad, or hadn't if there's not something that has caused you to lose your focus on Jesus' mission, I, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if every person in this room could admit to that one thing. And you know Why? Because we are following in faith, and when you follow in faith, and when you preach Jesus, and when you praise His name, you can expect opposition. It's real. But the opposition is not the people. It's got nothing to do with the people we're trying to reach, the people reach, the people that are in this church, or the people who who will come along and help and, and serve in this church. That's not the opposition the opposition it's much darker than that and i don't like to be a spooky guy and you know i don't want to i don't want to sit and try and blame everything on the devil because our fallenness does a lot of it on its own but the reality is is that there is opposition and you and i have to be ready that's why it's so important that is why it is so important for us to be aware of it That's why it's so important for each of us to be making ourselves ready, putting on the full armor of God. Living in a disciplined life. Demonstrating to to the world who we are, but all the time falling on our knees in prayer. He goes on, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So, that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Don't wait for the day of evil. Don't wait for the opposition. If you've waited already, it's too late. Get ready now. Don't wait for that day to come. Get ready now. Put on the armor now. Stand firm. Then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want you to think about every one of those things. How many of those things come from within yourself? the spirit the 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 helmet of salvation the 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 belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness none of that none of that comes from in here every bit of that comes from Jesus Christ our lord and savior king jesus is the one that builds our armor he's the one that gives us that shield of faith that extinguishes the fiery darts put on that armor live in it be ready for the opposition <laughs> And then do something that's totally, totally against our natural instinct. And pray. See, we want to go out and we want to run into battle, or at least I do. And maybe not everybody is the same way. But I'm ready to just charge. And I'm ready to just look at and and name names and and point fingers and, 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 and do these things. That's because I'm screwed up most days. And I stand and, and, and I'm dependent upon the grace of God. But I can tell you that he's, he's continuing to work in me and continuing to make me better. And He's continuing to make me into the likeness of His Son. And He's continuing to call me to be prepared and ready. And now I need to call you too, to be prepared and ready. And instead of just running off and darting into the battle and, and fighting that fight, pray. But what's interesting about this verse is it doesn't stop with pray. don't just pray about yourself. In fact, it doesn't I don't think it says once, pray for yourself." And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. with this, with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. You and I are not alone in this. It's almost as if we're the front line of some amazing army, and we're locked arms, and we're standing there together knowing that opposition's coming, but standing unified. Praying for one another. Lifting one another up. Bringing, bringing one another's needs before the Lord. Praying for, praying for one another's sanctification. Praying for one another to have power in the Holy Spirit. Praying. Not for, not for Aunt Susie's toe. Not that that's not necessarily a, a, a prayer request. But beyond that as well. Does anybody have an Aunt Susie? I hope not. I would pray for her toe if you asked me to. But don't miss the point. We're on mission. We're doing something much bigger than just seeing an ingrown toenail get, get cleaned up by a doctor. We're seeing lives change. We're going to see people who didn't know Jesus, who wanting nothing to do with Jesus, turn and understand that He's the King of kings and Lord of lords and that He is worthy to be praised. And their lives are going to be transformed. And as we do that, We can expect opposition. You see, our life of worship, our life of worship, as we give it to God, as we lay our lives down, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about laying your life down as an act of sacrificial worship. Giving your life to God in such a way that He rules in it, that He guides you, that you begin to serve and minister to one another. Every bit of that. Every bit of that worship is part of the mission. And so, if, if you volunteer to be in the children's department and you're teaching these kids, don't just teach these kids so that they learn cool little Bible stories. Teach these kids so that they learn to worship Jesus. As we develop a youth department, and, and as, 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 as that begins to develop, and as we bring youth in from out, out that, that hopefully are not connected to other churches, as that begins to happen, We don't just teach these kids to be good in school and and to not do drugs and to not... You know, those are good things. But they're temporary fixes. They need Jesus. And so as we worship, we stay on mission as we call others to worship. Every member missionary as we move forward, as we do this work, as we go paint walls, as we, put, put, uh, as we tear down a couple of walls, as we, as we put seats in a building, as we, build, uh, as, as we build a stage, as we put speakers on it, as we plan to worship in front of open windows for the world to see, we do it so that others will come along and worship Jesus. That's the mission. And that's His mission. And that's what I'm calling you to. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I've repented before you tonight. And I've told you that I led you wrongly in the beginning. And I ask your forgiveness. But now, I'm going to ask you to repent. I want you to think about the motives that have led you to this. And I don't want you to run away scared. I just want you to change your motive. I believe that you've been in this for long enough now. I, I, I have no doubt that every person in this room can be used by God for His purpose on this mission. I know there's still some decisions to be made, and that's, that's for those to make them, but I have no doubt God would honor those, those decisions. But I'm going to ask you, if you've come along to do some other thing than join God on His mission, Of bringing people Jesus. I'm going to ask you to repent of that. I'm going to ask you. To change your mind in such a way. That you turn. And instead of looking at other churches. And what they should be doing. We look at our church. And what we're going to do. And how much we want to praise Jesus. And call others to worship him with us. Dear my Father, we thank you that you are forgiving, that you're gracious, that you're merciful, that even in our inepts in, in our ineptitude, in, in our failures and in our flaws and in, in, in all that that's wrong inside of us, you work and you change us and you make us new. and, and somehow, I don't know how you do it, but somehow your light shines in us, God. I pray. I pray, Father, that that You will just bring us along. That You will do this work in us. So that we might turn and glorify You. I pray that You will help us to understand what it means to rest in You, to depend on Your grace, to to read Your Word, and and to be ready for opposition. I pray that You'll you'll challenge us to, to check our motives. I pray that You'll help us to see where we need to make ourselves better so that we might be pointing people to Jesus. I pray, Father, above all other things, that You'll keep us focused on worshiping You and living in Your mission. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.